my guest today, Tarek Munib, was living in Switzerland, um, originally born in Canada, and his parents actually of Egyptian descent. And growing up sort of a, and living uh, and really being comfortable in a lot of different cultures led him to really start to be concerned about what he perceived as so much hatred and so much vitriol and so much othering and lack of the ability to see the humanity in other people in the world. And that kind of reached a fevered pitch. And while he was living in Switzerland and Zurich, building his own companies, he decided to set aside a bunch of time and do something that so many people thought was maybe even impossible to go to the United States to find a group of Americans who really were concerned, were fearful, who had feelings about people, especially Islam, especially in the Middle East, that were not good, and then bring them, to, to offer them a free trip to Egypt, where they would then be paired with people who were very often the exact opposite of them, and to film it and just see what happened without forcing any sort of educational agenda, but just to watch and see what unfolded as people discovered or didn't discover each other's shared humanity. The result was a documentary called Free Trip to Egypt, which is now circulating. Definitely check it out. We will link to it in the show notes. That was really incredibly powerful. So moving on so many different levels. So I had a chance to sit down with Tara today and talk not just about his background, but also about how his own life and his experiences have informed his lens on other people and uh, how he sort of like made the jump from, uh, from Canada into Europe and what really motivated this entire adventure and also how it has changed him in a profound way and led to a continuing movement uh, called The Pledge to Listen, which we dive into. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I think the most important thing, especially to my father, was the religion. So he really felt a strong attachment to, to Islam and Islamic values. So he really wanted to impart that specifically. Um, and he felt Arabic was a part of learning about Islam. So I think that was more important to him than the general Egyptian culture, right? My mother was, was more into Egyptian and European culture mm. and, and more open and less worried about uh, what she would impart. Yeah. As, as a kid in Canada, were you in a community where uh, Islam was sort of like uh, it largely re- represented or not so much? I'm curious how you experienced that. So in, in Halifax, I hardly had any Muslim friends yeah. and, and in the school there weren't any Muslims. And, and so I felt like we were the only ones. And somehow the, the kids made you feel that as well that you're different and, and stuff. I mean, our house got vandalized. They spray painted Packy on it and, and stuff like that. So so early on, you kind of knew you were different. I felt kind of alone in that. We had a mosque in the neighboring city of Dartmouth that every now and then my, my dad would, would take us to. It wasn't really that we were part of a, a larger Muslim community. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, on the one hand, it's got to be very, you know, the, the sense of othering. On the other hand, I wonder if also, does it, were you curious about that at all? Did it sort of like make you question the way that um, you were treated, the way that people treated others based on this one thing? Yeah, so so I think as, as a kid, up until I was 17, I kind of knew I was a little bit different, but I didn't feel different. So Islam didn't really play a role in my life. And then I, I finished high school and I had a six month free time before university started. So I actually went to Egypt and studied Arabic. And when I came back, I had a more of a quest mm. for my Egyptian Islamic identity. And then I, I actually researched and then I became quite the activist Muslim. So between the ages of 17 and mid-20s, I was quite religious. I really felt Islam was the way to 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 your heart and to God. And, and I wanted to spread that. And I was... Uh, had speaking engagements and talking and and, and spreading the word, basically. Yeah. So that would have been through college years also. Yeah, exactly. So so it it started towards the end of high school and really throughout my undergraduate as part of the Muslim Students Association, all that. Um, And then when I started working a couple of years afterwards, I basically had like a crisis of faith and it all just kind of fell down. It all collapsed, yeah. my whole belief structure. And I didn't really believe in any religion. I thought everything was just, yeah, just man-made and all that stuff. And I, I became quite resentful. And and I and then everything that I wasn't allowed to do, I tried, I experimented. And that phase lasted a few years. And then I discovered this master's program at the University of Kent. And that was the study of mysticism and religious mm-hmm. experience. 
And then I took a year off of work and I just dove into it. And, and I rediscovered a whole new perspective on religion and spirituality. So I, I developed a new respect for religions, all religions. I felt a, a deeper sense of, of what Islam is as opposed to what I thought it was. And so, and ever since then, I think that's kind of my fundamental basis mm. that what I, what I learned then. So I'm, I'm someone who, who, yeah, feels an affinity towards um, all religions that I've studied. I don't feel one is better than the other. Objectively, I think one uh, calls an individual more. It's more attractive and helps a single person. But I feel it's more like a language of relating to the divine. And just like you might be more fluent in English and someone else might be fluent in German, it doesn't mean German is better than English or something like that. Yeah, it, it's, it's so interesting when people begin to explore from what I've seen, the the more mystical offshoots of almost any faith-based tradition and pretty much all of them have them. Right. What I, you know, whether Sufism or Kabbalah, mm -hmm. it's, they, they've tended to be, at least from my fairly limited exposure, more expansive yes. than a lot of the sort of like the, um, the more um, strictly dog, I, I hate to use the mm. word dogmatic, but um, the, the less mystical um, elements of a lot of different tr traditions. Right. Absolutely. I think it's, it's also because esoteric really looks within, talks about the heart and the heart is really a universal language. Mm. And we tend to forget sometimes when, when we are, we're practicing a religion that it's all about opening your heart and being a better person. And uh, yeah, so I think when we, when we reconnect with that essence, it, it creates a peace within us and outside of us, right? And we become less hostile and judgmental, I yeah. feel. No, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> kind of like at the end of the day, it comes down to love. Yeah. Was there, you said you had a crisis. Was there something that happened that triggered the crisis? I think I start to really feel a sense of isolation. I, I felt there was something different about me. And I felt that I was judging people. I wasn't connecting with people that weren't Muslim. And, and it just, it, there was a dissonance in the way I, I lived. And, and it just got bigger and bigger. It wasn't just one, one moment until I, I, I felt, no, I can't really live like this anymore. It doesn't mm. feel right. And I remember there were a few key moments. One of the moments I remember was when I was visiting Italy. I was on a bus and uh, the bus was driving around and we were just in traffic and it just stopped because of traffic in front of this church. And the church door was open and there was this monk who was offering his prayers with such beautiful devotion. It, it just moved me, it touched me. And it was like, how could I position myself thinking that my religion is better than his, right? It just, so there were, that's one example. There were a few of those things that just happened in that year and, and just kind of blew me open. Yeah, like small cracks in the door until finally just the whole thing swings. Yes. Yeah. You go from, from there to stepping back into a more expansive place also. What's happening with you in terms of where you are in the world and, and how you're contributing to it? Right now, no, like back then, back, like, so like because eventually you 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 head out from Canada, <laughs> right, right. So 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 basically, I think you know I I graduated from from 
computer engineering. That was my bachelor's. Okay. So my master's was kind of like a holiday. It was just kind of a sabbatical. I was working in the IT industry. I took a year off of, of work. So I was always just kind of in that IT industry and working and then going up the, the ranks of ma management and, and, and directing things. But I also felt I wanted to do something more fulfilling. So I, in parallel, I, I did my master's. I also took a year off of work afterwards and studied at the Jung Institute um, to immerse myself in psych psychological studies. Um, I did a lot of workshops, but that was always for my personal development. And it never manifested in the outer form for a number of years. Right. So that, that wasn't a part of your, quote, work. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So interesting. A couple of years back, we had uh, Dave Evans in here, who was one of the early guys at Apple um, and also one of the two guys that split off and founded Electronic Arts, like a massive gaming company. Brilliant, brilliant in the technology world. Mm. And a number of years into that career as a brilliant technologist, he went back to get his, if I want to remember right, PhD in divinity. Oh, wow. Um, because he really felt like there was this thing that was not being included in the way that he was living his life and also contributing and working that um, he couldn't understand not being there and he wanted to know a lot more about it. I'm curious whether you being immersed in the, in the world of tech, whether you feel that that sort of well-defined, granular, sort of binary way of living a lot of your existence was related to your desire to go and explore mysticism, to go and explore Jungian and like what, is, what, is, what are the essential parts of human nature? Yeah, I, I think maybe, I think we all kind of yearn for wholeness. And I think because of my engineering mind and my analytical mind, exactly what you're saying, it's this kind of binary way of thinking. And that was also the way I experienced religion in the beginning. Yeah. So it's just kind of the aspect of, of how I came into the world and, and a certain type of thinking. And I then I think, you know, being analytical and, and breaking things down, you, you want to experience more the holistic way, the artistic way uh, of, of seeing things, right? It's kind of left brain, right brain. If you're completely immersed in, in, in this analytical world, there is this yearning to feel the other part of you, right? And I, sometimes we just ignore it and sometimes we immerse ourselves in it. And for me, it was really important. Like I, I really was called to, to explore arts and singing and 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 spirituality and and all these other things and it was interesting because i thought at one point in time i just want to drop technology and oh, no business kidding. and all that stuff and then i realized actually no though it's so fun for me as well yeah it's not that it's wrong or bad it's just it's just missing so so now i i, I love the fact that i'm i'm able to combine both worlds somehow yeah before your most recent project, did you feel like you were able to then take the more esoteric humanistic side and bring it back into technology in some way? Well, so I was always, I felt split and I always had the yeah. yearning to do that, right? And then the first element of finally moving towards that is I was looking for a, um, a space for my software company to buy. And we found a floor in, in Switzerland. So, so we purchased the floor, but it was too big for my software company. And they had two sides to the floor, one's on, on the right and one's on the left. And on the right is where my software company is now. And then on the left, I thought, it's a really beautiful space. I think we could convert it to something more than just office buildings, hmm. office space, right? So then I had the idea 
to convert it into a um, holistic health center, um, which we did. There are seven large rooms that we rent out to to therapists. And then we converted one of the bigger rooms into a small yoga room. And we call this the inner space. And so people offer their services and together we form the center and we do some common activities. And this was kind of my first step into bringing the two worlds, two aspects of my life together. So it's symbolic because they're now under the same roof, mm. but there's still a wall between. Yeah. Right. So it's one step closer, right, but not right. completely integrated. <laughs> right. Once you have like a, the, the actual physical space interspersed also, that would be kind of interesting. Switzerland, how, how does that enter the picture? So, so basically I met my ex-wife in Germany. I actually met her in Canada through a mutual friend. And then 10 years later, I was on a business trip in Germany uh, where she was living. So I looked her up and then <laughs> that's kind of the, the short story of how I got into Germany. And then I was on a year assignment after that in Germany that ended and we both didn't really want to continue living in Frankfurt, which is where, where we were at the time. And she had done some some of her um, student terms work assignments yeah. in, in Zurich. And she just had this fairy tale imagination and memories of, of Zurich. So because I also had the interest in Carl Jung, that was when I decided to take a year off of work ah, and study it, at the it. Jung Institute. Got it. So then that took us to Switzerland. Um, we both liked it. So then we stayed. Yeah. So you've been there now 15, 16, 17 Probably years? Probably longer, longer. I think now. Yeah. Maybe 18 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. October 2nd. Oh, so we're so, like, yeah. oh, pretty much right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 18 years. It's so, so fascinating, right? So you, you've kind of got like these, you, you've got the Canadian, you've got the Egyptian and now a healthy dose of Swiss. <laughs> And, and German, because right. my son was born in Germany okay. and my, my ex-wife's German. So I always, I feel an affinity to Germany. Like I vote for Germany in the World Cup yeah. soccer and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So yeah, there, there's these these elements in my psyche that have now are part of me. Yeah. I mean, culturally, so you've got four different places, four very different cultures. Do you feel like they they work well together? Well, this is exactly why, why I feel I'm doing what I'm doing yeah. is because I feel so at home and I feel such a love for each of these cultures. And you can even throw in American culture because I think as, as Canadians, um, we hate to admit this, but we grow up on, on, on American television. Right. So yeah. so we share American values and and, you know, tear up at the Constitution and, and things like that. I mean, and we probably can can talk about American history just like like Canadians. So so I feel these this love and these different homes in me. Right. So so and I feel very comfortable in all of them. Mm. So it pains me when I see one of those cultures attack another or be suspicious of that. So this is kind of the, the precursor to my current project is this feeling of um, seeing, you know, anti-American sentiment in Egypt or anti-Egyptian sentiment in America. It, it just doesn't feel right. It, it creates a dissonance in me that I, I just want to solve. Because it's almost like you're standing, you have a part of a foot and part of you and all, all, all the worlds together. Yeah. Um, and see how they all are, are similar and share so much. Exactly. W what was it, before we even get to, you know, like what you've been up to the last couple of years, 
and what's what's popping into my mind is post 9 11 mm. so much would have changed so you would have been in switzerland then right no october 2nd 2001 got it okay right got it piecing so, it together so we 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 were in canada for three months before we went to switzerland so I, when September 11th happened, we were we were here in Canada. Yeah, uh, there in Canada, right up north. What was given your background? What was the, the you know the world changed pro- profoundly like mm-hmm. after that? But also, there was a lot of sentiment that started to bubble up in this country and I think around the world that was anti-Islam, anti people who had different skin colors mm-hmm. um, and different traditions that couldn't understand. Curious how you experienced that window, sort of like having these deep affinities and connections to different places. Yeah, with a lot of horror. I mean, I think I think whenever something like this happens, that's so so tragic. I think a lot of people who are who are Muslim feel the pain of the event itself, which which just just like any other North American feels it, right? It's just you're, you're you're in shock, and then you feel the consequences of what this might cause in terms of hostility and misunderstanding and hate, and and each time this happens, you're like, you know, I I hope it's not a Muslim. I mean, it's horrible to say that, and then when when in this case it was, you're like, oh my God, how are people going to react to this, right? Because the, the, the problem is the discussion right now and the connection is very abstract. And I think when we're talking about abstract concepts, we lose the humanity of it. And a lot of people, they, they, they don't know their Muslim neighbors. And if all they see is this, this thing that happened on the news and they hear all this thing about Islam, it, the natural reaction is to fear it and then fear people that they don't know. Right. So so it was really um, as it was happening and you felt you they found out that it was um, people of Muslim background. You're you just felt this. The world will never be the same again. Right. And it's like, oh, my God, this is going to escalate. This is horrible. And yet there were still some really beautiful examples of, of the opposite right, that people did come together. Um, even George Bush at the time was saying things, reaching out to, to Muslim countries and the Muslims in the United States, etc. So there, there was this opportunity. And after a number of years, you see the world did normalize. And there is still hope, right, that, that you know, most people do not just judge based on one or two things that happen. Yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's starter pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code GOODLIFE at lumideodorant.com. Don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code GOODLIFE. Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere ribbed beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman to pass savings to customers. Actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP for free shipping on your order and a 365-day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash GLP to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash GLP or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. So fast forwarding, we come into 2015, 2016. What ha- what's happening in the world and what, what happens in you that makes you say to yourself, there's something else that I need to be doing right now? Well, yeah, so towards the end of 2016, for me, it was really getting worse, the, 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 the conversation, right? And, and it's, I, I just got very frustrated of this abstract conversation about Islam or Muslims or, or Westerners or Americans. It, it's just so abstract. It, it's meaningless and it creates fear and hostility. And I was seeing a lot of that at the end of, at the end of 2016. And I felt powerless and I felt 
Americans are starting to be afraid of, of me. And, and I noticed that I'm starting to be afraid of Americans just reading the news. And, and then I realized, well, I don't want to be like that. I don't want, is there something I can do differently, right? And then that's when the inspiration just came. Well, why don't, instead of going away from Americans, uh, running away, being, living in fear, go towards the people I think are afraid of me and offer them something kind. And that was a big shift in my psyche and really actually was quite freeing. And I didn't know where it was going to lead. I didn't know what was going to happen. But just to, to, to just get out of this paralysis and, and do something was really the first step in, in, in a new sense of freedom. Yeah. So going from that awakening, how does that become manifest? How does that become real? Like, what are the first steps to say, okay, so... How do I actually actualize this? Well, so then, so then, you know, the, the idea came like, and I had the vision. It was also, I'm going to do this experiment. I'm going to go to America. I'm going to offer people a free trip to Egypt that are concerned about Arabs in the Middle East. I'm going to just go up to them, ask them, offer them this, this vacation, and I'm going to take them there. And I'm going to, I'm going to film the whole thing. Did that idea come pretty quickly? Yeah, just kind that, of like that, almost fully yeah, formed. Exactly. This, I, this was, right. it was like, I was on a tram. And I remember, and it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like and, and, and where's the pen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, it was right. like, and, and I had to just run off the tram and just start start doing it. And then, and then that energy kind of dissipated for a few weeks because I was a bit overwhelmed. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Because you're not a filmmaker, also. You've no. never organized trips. Like this is no. It's an idea that you have zero experience or background in actually executing. <laughs> right, uh, but at the same time, I've like I've. I have skills in setting up projects right. and in like with the health center, with, with IT, with different things. So, so I felt comfortable that I could in, go into a new area. So I had some building blocks, but l not the experience I really needed. Yeah. Right. Like, for example, um, one of my companies does offshoring to Egypt. So I would bring American and European potential customers to Cairo. And I would show them around, Got so it. I felt safe there. Like I, I, it's not like I was gonna right, right, right. right. So there were there were there were elements, but no, I wasn't a filmmaker. So, so in January I was like, okay, I'm gonna seek out a production company. I, I need some some help. Um, and then a friend of mine said, you need to talk to Ingrid Serban, who ended up being our director, right? And Ingrid is a mutual friend. And then um, I just did a FaceTime with her. We talked for, for like five minutes and I realized she got the soul of the project. She got the soul of what we're trying to do. And what I liked about her is she's all about storytelling, about bringing people's humanity to the camera. And that was exactly what we wanted. We didn't want to make any group look good or bad. We just wanted to take all these diverse people and, and tell their human story whether it was the Trump supporter or the Muslim or the left wing or whoever, just wanted to see them as human beings. And that was the beginning. And then we just moved forward and started, you know, advertising, looking for Americans. And then all the challenges came and one, one after another, right. we, we, we overcame them. So the initial vision is, let's find a group of Americans who are probably also in some way resistant to, concerned about, fearful or even expressing outright hatred or aggression yes. towards, and then invite them on a trip to come to Egypt, stay with in people's homes in Egypt and just capture that 
and and whatever unfolds unfolds yes without being sort of didactic and preachy and facilitating just let it happen exactly when you take this idea and so of course now you've got your you got the team that's going to film it you got the concept um you need the people <laughs> exactly. That was the, the the huge challenge. So how do you go about finding those people? Okay, so we first start on social media, right? We yeah. we I did this this video, you know, telling people uh, are, do they want a free trip to Egypt, etc. And if they do, send in send in videos. Um. So and we posted that on social media, and that was really shocking, really shocking, because I I just expected people maybe just to ignore it, but no, people really wanted to to convey how stupid I was and how horrible of an idea this is and that they don't want to interact with these savages. And uh, uh, these are people that, that are beyond communicate, like, like hateful, horrible things. And, and that was like 90% of, of the comments. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh my God, have we gotten to that point in the world where, where we're just so hateful and mistrustful that even a free trip to Egypt comes across with with so much hatred. Did, did that make you question whether this was a good idea or did it do the opposite and almost make you like demonstrate how much, how needed it really was? Well- Or something in the middle. <laughs> well, what, what, what it did is it made me think uh, maybe no one's gonna come. Yeah. Right? And, and, and maybe it's too late to do this project. Maybe I should have done it like 10, 20 years right, ago. Like the when people there was, are just, there's uh, too much vitriol. It's exactly. too deeply ingrained. Yeah. yeah right. And, 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 and this was the thing. I was like, oh my God. But I, I didn't want to give up. Right. Uh, so, so then the next step was, okay, I'm going to come to the United States and I'm going to ask people in person. Maybe that's going to change. Right. So then, you know, we went to all sorts of different places. We were actually, we were, one of the first places was in Manhattan. We went to, Union Park, Union Square, Union Square, yeah, yeah. Union Square, and right and um, New York, Georgia, uh, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky. We went to a whole bunch of different types of, of of states, and then the shift started happening in in me, because as soon as you speak to people face to face, it's very different than on the internet, right? And then all of a sudden, you're talking to human beings. And then it's human to human, right? And we, I, I even went to a Trump rally in, in Louisville, Kentucky, right? And we found some, some Americans there that we took to, to Egypt. Um, and there were different reactions in the different states, but what it gave me, it made me realize most people are not bigoted. Most people are not like social media, right? Most people uh, that we interacted with are genuinely decent human beings who believe that all humans are the same, there's good and bad in everyone, et cetera, right? And that's mostly what you get. We got, of course, there were the bigoted people and there was absolutely no access to those people and they were hateful and horrible and we met them, okay? But the majority weren't, right? And there were, then there was this, this group that said things that you would consider bigoted, but I didn't feel they were bigoted. I felt it was coming from a place of concern for their family, not understanding these people, but they were kind people. So there was access to them. And this is, I think, the mistake we're doing in general is that we, we don't give people a chance. We, we think if someone has a certain political view or he's said something in the past, he's, he's a bigoted person. 
and then we're hostile towards them, right? I was wearing my Make America Great hat when I went to the Trump rally to speak to Trump supporters and get access to them. I crossed over to the anti-Trump demonstrators just to say hello. Some of them were nice to me. Others refused to speak to me because I was racist. They shut the door, right? And that's just tells you something about how far gone we, we are. I understand the frustration. I understand the hate, but it's not going to solve the problem, right? It doesn't bring us further, right? And, and that's the thing that really this film really instilled in me this whole journey. It really renewed my faith in humanity and really renewed my realizing we, I just need to listen to people. There's no threatening ideas. Listen to what they have to say. Offer what you have in return. And a lot of times more magic can happen than, than I realized. Yeah. There's... Um blanking on the name of it, there's a psychological phenomenon where when we see others do something or act in a way or say something that we think is wrong, we look at them as being bad people. Right. It's not good people who have done something bad or wrong mm -hmm. or that we disagree with. On an identity level, we look at them as we say, like, they are a bad person. When we do something similar, mm -hmm individually, we consider ourselves good people who have made a mistake exactly, or done something bad right. or said something hurtful, right. but fundamentally we're good people. But we don't ascribe that same sense of goodness to others as, as a person that we ascribe to ourselves. Right. We, we judge their identity based on a series of outward actions or things that they've done or said. And it's interesting the way that the brain works that way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and then, and the thing is, is as soon as you treat somebody as a threat or as a bad person, you're lost. You're not going to reach anything. Nothing's going to happen. We have an example where, where it's, it's one of my favorite examples of, of, uh, of a screening is, I don't know if you're familiar with Sasha Baron Cohen's sure. Who is America series. Yeah. There was one where he went, uh, he disguised himself up as a left-wing professor and went to Kingman, Arizona and announced, called a town hall meeting and announced to the people of Kingman that they were the lucky recipients of a brand new state-of-the-art mosque. And the reactions were, were just horrible. I mean, they were shocked and they, were, they said horrible and racist things. Okay, it was funny. It made its point. Sasha Baron is a is, is very talented, funny guy. But for me, it doesn't bring people together. It's not the solution. So we actually reached out to Kingman. We called them and we said, you guys want to watch this film with us? And they're like, who are you? We've just been burnt. No way. Da, da, da. But after weeks of you know, pressure and, and establishing trust, they agreed. And we went to Kingman, Arizona, watched the film with these people that everyone's judging as, as racist and all this stuff. Um, the discussion that happened afterwards was really amazing. People came together. There were tears. There were hugs. And to the point where one person from, from Kingman, he stood up and he said, your next film is going to be a free trip to Kingman. And I invite mm. the Egyptians. Right? So I think we miss a lot of opportunity the moment we just judge people and, 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 and do it. And it's the good people that are judging people now, right? It's, we are judging people because we are so horrified at the racism that's out there. So we feel... I'm against racism. But what we don't realize is this, this, this indignation 
is actually not solving the problem, right? And, and that's really where it's important for us to just slow down. And that's what I learned because I have the same righteous indignation. And it, I realized, no, well, as soon as I give the person a chance to speak, a lot of times there is magic. There are the bigoted peoples where it doesn't happen, doesn't work, but you, you give it a try. Yeah. So you end up finding your people, um, seven? Seven, total, yes. Right. Um, share a bit about how some of these people were. Um, so, so there was one uh, woman, um, her name was Ellen. She was uh, in her late 60s and she was a retired school teacher. And you talk about September 11th. She talked about September 11th. Ever since September 11th, she said, she's, she's just had this visceral fear when she sees Muslim men. And she feels she's become really racist. And this was never the way she was before. But ever since for the last, you know, 20 years, she's been like that. And she just wanted, she, she, she had this beautiful heart. Um, and yet all, all this fear, but was able to be really authentic. So she and her, her husband, who their, their children described their father as very xenophobic, afraid of the world, etc., we brought them and we paired them up and we paired her up with a young Egyptian revolutionary man, right? So Muslim guy, and it was really an interesting uh, interaction. Another person we found was uh, a missionary Christian who wanted to go to Egypt to bring uh, Jesus' love into the Middle East and baptize Muslims. Right, and he brought from his congregation uh, a former Miss Kentucky, and they were from Kentucky, and they were the sweetest couple. But they have this this view of of, of wanting to convert everybody, and uh, we paired them up with an Orthodox Muslim family, so a man with a beard, the woman covering her her, her face. So it was just very interesting to see the dynamics. We found a Trump supporter, um, a Marine. He was at the Trump rally. Big, big. Um, macho guy. Uh, and we paired him up with this beautiful Egyptian dancer who drives a Harley motorcycle, right? So it was really, and there was a couple of other pairings, yeah. etc. So, and, and we just watched what would unfold. Yeah. They, and they were actually staying. Um, so, so, or, so they spent the entire day with their host right. family, but they would sleep in a hotel. Right. Um, What's it like for you and for them? So it's one thing, so you got the dream, you got the team, now you've got the people. Um, it's go time. Like everybody gets on a plane. And then what's it like for you when everybody steps out into Egypt together? I mean, what's the experience for you? And that, um, Well, yeah, it was it was quite exciting. I mean... <laughs> I was prepared for almost anything that would happen, except if people would just get up and leave, yeah. right? I didn't, I didn't want to lose the story, right? This is, I just wanted to follow their journey. And that was my main concern is when there were some tensions in the beginning and people not understanding each other, I didn't know how it was going to unfold. I didn't know if people were just going to pick up and leave or be offended and, 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 and do their own thing. So... So it was a little bit uh, nerve wracking in the beginning. And then to watch it um, and then to start witnessing the magic that was occurring after a few days, that was really just just brilliant. I, I felt so, so honored to be part of the journey. And it was like, wow, 
And then I told myself, if, if one person watches this film, that would be enough. This journey in itself was worth doing, regardless of, of the film that comes out of it, right? So it really, then it was just, just really powerful. And, and then, of course, I didn't realize it, but I stayed in Egypt, but I took the Americans to the airport, made sure they got on the plane back to New York and, and watched the plane take off. Um, the feeling of relief, mm. Um, that everyone was safe and everyone was fine afterwards. It's still also a bit of a responsibility, regardless yeah, of, of course, whether you're of in New York or Cairo. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We talked about how um, how you found the Americans. I'm curious about the other side too, um, because you had to pair them with people in right. Egypt. How you found those people, and what were what were their perceptions and concerns and fears on the other side? Right. So it was a very different journey searching for the Egyptians, right? Because trying to find people who are afraid of a region and then bringing them there. It, it, it's a bit of a risk. It's an adventure. You need a certain type of person that that's that's willing to do that, right? So I was really amazed at, at these seven Americans having these concerns and yet still willing to embark, right? So the Egyptians, you're asking them to bring in Americans to their homes, show them their country, etc. So most Egyptians love that idea, right? They have this respect for Americans because of American television. You know, they, they love Americans, right? So, so it wasn't very difficult to find a lot of people who wanted to. My challenge was I was willing to bring any American 
um, that I interviewed and that I felt would would benefit. But on the Egyptian side, these are these are the ones that are acting as hosts, right? So I really needed to make sure these were really trustworthy people, reliable people that I could really count on, right? So here I only took people that I personally knew or I knew people personally that could vouch for them, right? So I didn't go too far out in terms of the people I accepted. And I wanted to get a diverse mix of that reflected Egypt, right? Because you've got the very religious people in Egypt and you've got very secular and all shades in between. And I think the Egyptians that we managed to find did reflect that. Yeah. Did you wait until you saw who was coming and on no. the American side? So you just... <laughs> I, I, I just got yeah. the Egyptians and got the Americans. And then it was fun to, right. to do like, the pairing. It's like playing the, like the match game. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like this. Because I'm almost like, it's almost like you're casting to a certain extent. A little bit, yeah. But but not in a fake way, but because you do want a certain amount of meshing and relating. And at the same time, I would imagine you do want a certain amount of difference and potential for not aggressive conflict, but potential for for real strong views that that oppose each other. But at the same time, an openness to relating around that. Well, I wanted I wanted to get the most diverse, diametrically opposed people that I could get together yeah. and see. That was the experiment. Right, like that the, was end, the, curi- the Christian, the, the Christian Christ- evangelical right. and that, right. Right, the orthodoxist. Yeah. Right, like someone afraid of Muslim men pairing her up with a Muslim man, right? I, I really wanted to see what would happen because right. because I... I, the, my theory was that, you know, human kindness and connection will win over any type of difference. That was my theory and hope. And this was an experiment to see if that would be the case. Yeah. Were there, in your cap, you're filming this whole thing. So I'm guessing you had hundreds of hours of footage. 250. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even getting into what it's like to edit that down to like an hour and a half or whatever it is for a doc. Were there one or two or three specific moments during those 10 days and those 14 different people that really stayed with you or landed or or, or were really powerful, transformative that you can- oh, oh, yes. And this is why I'm so excited about the film because I'm still to this day just, just completely astounded by the fact that in 10 days, such a deep transformation can occur. Right. If you look at Ellen and Terry, the, the, the ones that I was telling you about before, the retired school teacher and fear that they lived in and and to see to see what came out at the end, it's it's just it's just so deeply moving, so yeah. deeply moving. And everyone's deeply moved by Ellen's story and Terry's story. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, so so to witness that and to be a part of that was was just beyond belief. We had another situation with Katie from Arizona, originally from Norfolk, Nebraska, how she had a really key moment of of opening. And she really, she hadn't been able to open up about certain things that happened in her life to anybody. And she just felt this trust in with her Egyptian host and her Egyptian host's mother that she really opened up in such a beautiful way. And what was even more beautiful was the mother didn't speak a word of English. And yet there was so much love and compassion and connection 
that it was, um, yeah, everyone's just been so moved by, by the universal language of, of the heart, yeah. right? And one, one sees that. So there was a few moments like that. How, how was that, ex- ex- was it expressed physically then, the connection? Um, it was just, you just sense it or? It, there, it's actually in the film and just simply through, through the embrace, through what they were saying yeah. to each other, in their respective languages. Obviously, someone translated to the mother, so right. she, she kind of knew what was going on. But even before she knew, just if you watch her body language as Katie is opening up and expressing, you just feel the look on her face, the compassion, the... Yeah, I mean, it, it's... You just... Just the look in her eyes. I mean, it's it's just just beautiful. You, then there's, there's just humanity left, nah. right? When these 10 days end and the Americans go back to their country, have you sat down with them afterwards? Yes. And process this experience yes. with them? Yeah, so, so that's, that's part of the, even part of the film because right. we weren't even going to do that for the film, but then things happened. So we ended up doing that and that's been in the film. So, so one sees that. And then to this day, I mean, it's been two years since, since we went to Egypt, we're all in touch. Some of them are trying to plan trips again, back to Egypt. There's just been a lot of love and connection and a little community has formed with such a diverse group of people. I've never been, you know, I know diverse people, but I've never had such diverse group travel together and be with each other like that and, and come out stronger without changing anyone right without Tell me any, more about that well this is the thing is that what what gave me hope is the fact that jason and jenna are just as zealous about their christian beliefs as they were before i don't think anyone's changed their political beliefs never asked them and yet we came out as friends and it shows that we don't have to change each other's political or religious beliefs and still get along. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a basic concept, but it seems like we've forgotten that, right? And then the film was really powerful in this journey in showing that. A lot of people say, well, Jason and Jenna, um, they didn't change a bit. And I go, and I go yeah, no, they, they didn't change their religious views, but I wasn't trying to convert them to anything. And Jason, though, he calls me every few weeks and he's still so excited. And he's like, Tariq, you've changed my life. I've learned how to love Muslims even better. And da, da, da. And just the other day, we took a bunch of Christians and took them to the local mosque. So Jason hasn't changed. He's still Jason, but he has formed these new ways of relating to people he wouldn't have related to before. Right. And it's the same with 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 the other people. Right. And one of the campaigns that started uh, as a result of the film, which I guess we'll talk about, was called Pledge to Listen. One of the first people to sign Pledge to Listen was a Trump supporter in California. Right. So this is the 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 thing and the impact of the film and what's happened is just showing, you know, let's let's try to get along without having to change each other's political and religious beliefs. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I guess on, underneath all of those beliefs, the positioning, the stances is fundamentally, can we 
acknowledge and, and can we see first the humanity in others? I feel like so much of so much of the adversity, so much of the othering that's happening here. Mm. Um, like we point to political beliefs, we point to religious beliefs. Fundamentally, I think so much of it grows out of something that happens that somehow turns off the switch in us that allows us to see the humanity in somebody who doesn't look and believe the same way and things that we do. And and once, like when the human, when we don't see that, but like some some snippet of ourselves in another human being, mm. I don't think anything else really will allow you to begin to relate to them again. Um, even if you, you know, like share a lot of the same beliefs, mm. but the moment we can see a bit of ourselves in them, we can actually acknowledge their humanity. I feel like that opens the door so much to, like you said. Not necessarily, I'm not going to change my political beliefs or my, my spiritual religious beliefs, but at least I can see that they are human beings who are maybe genuine, generous, loving, and worthy of those same things. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's really the key is as soon as we can, um, yeah, humanize each other and humanize the conversation, it all changes. Yeah. So the listeners can't see, but um, the smile you just had <laughs> on your face um, makes me really curious. You know, we've talked a lot about how this came to be, about how this has made a profound difference in the lives of the people who were first in this experience and now are you know, like able to sit and see this um, captured in a documentary and then have conversations around it. What about you? How's it changed you? Oh, a lot. So I think the first thing is it's it's renewed my faith in humanity. I was alluding to that before is that I think the majority of people are not racist. The majority of people want to talk, are sick and tired of this uh, polarization, no matter what political view you have. I think most Americans and people around the world are just tired of the fact that we, we just can't sit down and talk without all this hate, right? So this is my experience, my personal experience of after talking to hundreds of people, uh, I'm convinced of this. So that gives me hope that we're not so bad. We're not in, in, in bad shape. The other thing is I had to look at my own preconceptions, right? I had my own prejudices. Brian, the, the Marine that we found at the Trump rally, I, you know, I had my conceptions of what a Marine at a Trump rally would be like. And he completely blew those out of the water. Um, he has a tattoo on his left shoulder, which is a biblical verse about the greatest love is this, uh, to sacrifice one's life for one's friend or brother, right? And this is his whole concept behind being a Marine. It's about love of your brother, right? And it was like, okay, wow, that's interesting. I would have never expected to see a Marine talking about love and kindness and so we really connected and, and became good friends. So, but again, it was my, I had to drop my preconceptions. The first few days when we arrived in Egypt, Jason, the, the Christian missionary, he and I just locked heads for, for, for days where there's, there's footage of us in the Red Sea swimming and still debating because I was just saying, you know, I, I really respect your religious view. I don't doubt that your, your experience but is it not possible that others of other religions might have deeply powerful experiences as well? And 
he would imply, no, the only way is through Jesus and, and all that stuff. And that would really bother me. And I spent days trying, no, can't you see it? Until I realized that I am trying to convert him just as much as he's trying to convert me. And as soon as I let go of that desire to convert him, as long as he's not violent, why, why should I care? And then I let go of that. And then I could really see in Jason a really beautiful human being who's really, you know, uh, brave and courageous, will pray for people on the street, will, will bring homeless people into his own home. And right. So, so I discovered him. Right. And I don't need to change him. Right. But I had to face that in me. I had to face when I'm speaking to people on the street that have these views that kind of make me aggressive. What's happening in me? Why do my ears shut down? Right. And that's why I was saying earlier that, okay, I realized because I all of a sudden feel fear when I hear something that I consider racist. I feel I have to fight it. Right. Because it's a dangerous idea. And then as soon as I realized, you know what, there's it's not dangerous. There's nothing dangerous to me at this moment. Feel, listen. And then from a different place, I can I can react. And then there's actually connection and transformation that, that can occur. So all these things, they're things I learned on this journey. So, so I'm, I'm just so grateful uh, to have been able to, to go on this trip. Yeah. And, and that also, I mean, it kind of leads nicely to this pledge to listen. So, so the, um, the trip and the documentary and the sharing around it is, is not, in fact, the end of the story. Right. Because everyone asks me, what's yeah. what's your next project? And my answer is, this is just beginning. Yeah. Right. And so uh, we, we re I reflected quite a bit on why we managed to get through this in such a positive way. And I think the, the thing I, I, I realized is, was this listening with respect. Right. And that's when the Pledge to Listen movement came about. We realized everyone can be a part of it. So we can, we can all go on this journey together. So the pledge to listen is just simply a pledge to say, you know, I'm not going to demonize anybody. I'm going to wait, hear what they have to say, and then just say what I also believe as well. So it's not about just being silent. And, and it's really um, thousands of people have, have, have joined pledge to listen where we've partnered with many organizations. So our film starts a conversation and then other organizations can continue the conversation. Like there's the Charter for Compassion, there's the uh, Jewish Muslim Voices for Peace, there's um, the Listen First Project, there's all these organizations that are actually doing things to create a more harmonious world. So we had um, last June, the Pledge to Listen Day of Unity. And there the, the film was shown in 500 theaters across the country. And then a panel discussion was streamed into the theaters from Washington, D.C. And we brought thought leaders together who shared the one thing in common that they wanted to see more listening and kindness in the world. And yet they were so diverse. And these people were Marla Maples, Trump's former wife, uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, the Democratic um, presidential candidate. Uh, we had an advisor to Trump, a former associate secretary of state to Obama, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, uh, the Oscar-winning director Peter Farrelly. All these people came together, so diverse, yet inspired by the film, wanting to create more listening and kindness in the world. And that's Pledge to Listen. And now we're working with our partner organizations where people can organize community screenings, bring people together, 
and talk and find out what's going on in their in their neighborhood. These partner organizations can share their activities. Then people can do something. And slowly we're able to, to start a conversation and, and continue. And people have ways to move this forward. Yeah, I love that. Um, I love also that the, um, you know, if you went to a whole bunch of communities and said, hey, we're calling a meeting so that we can talk about this one particular issue, probably a lot of people wouldn't show up. But if you say, hey, like we're screening this really fascinating documentary. Right. And then there'll be a Q&A, there'll be a conversation afterwards. Um, you'll get a lot more people in the room. Exactly. <laughs> so it's an interesting mechanism. It's like a prompt that first does the work of bringing people together and then um, cinematically starts to open their heart a little bit and then sort of like sets the scene for a bigger conversation, um, which is really powerful. When you go through an experience like you've gone through over the last couple of years, at the same time, like you're running businesses, but so much of your your presence and your heart is in these other things. And you kind of like, you know, you, you're starting to put a bow on the bigger part of this effort that's really engaging you and, and stepping a little bit more fully back into this other day-to-day business life. Any strain or struggles or challenges sort of like reintegrating into just everyday business and life from this? Or was it just, you step back in, but differently? It, it was important what I, what I realized. So I went down part-time with my businesses and I assigned people to, to run them before I took on my right. new projects. And what I realized is that if business is going to continue to thrive, because I've been doing this part-time for maybe about four or five years. So I've had a bit of experience. I realized the business is going to continue to thrive. I can reduce my time but I cannot reduce my passion, mm. right? And that was really important for me. And it was a, a realization. I had experimented. And then what I've realized is if I just, you know, reduce it maybe four hours a week or one day a week, if I bring the same uh, enthusiasm and desire for success, it's, it thrives. But if, it, if you kind of bring in this four hours, uh, it's like not your passion, pro- right? And for me, as long as I feel I have enough time for something, it's not a nuisance, right? So, so that was really the, the trick for me is making sure, okay, this IT stuff, it, it, it's too much every day. You know, I need something else, right? So as long as I was able to find the balance, then whether if it's five minutes, then, you know, if, if I can't stand it for more than five minutes a week, that's fine. But then those five minutes, I'll be really excited about it. Mm. Right. So it's never been that, that the film is kind of like the, the fun project and those other, oh, this boring stuff I have to get back to because I've dosed it in a, in a, enough that those few hours or day still exciting and fun. And then the people sense that, and then I can just trust that they're they continue you know doing sharing the vision and, and continuing so I've, I've been fortunate my there were times where I didn't have enough hours in the day especially leading up to the pledge to listen day of unity with the time zones and everything so I was working 16 hours a day which I usually am not a workaholic and that lasted one or two months and I I said okay it's a couple months I'll give myself permission to do that and then after the Pledge to Listen Day of Unity, then things have, have normalized again. I have normal hours and it seems to be working. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like the these two sides have become this um, 
benevolent feedback mechanism. Like one fuels the other, which fuels the other, which fuels right. the other. Yeah, exactly. Um, which almost you, you almost wonder if you hadn't done this, um, how you would have kept feeling about sort of like the the core, you know, like uh, capital W work that you were doing um, in your business. Yeah, it, w- it wouldn't have worked. The thing is, yeah. what 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 had happened is that I knew years ago I wanted to go down part time. Yeah. And then what, what I did is I was saying, okay, I'll wait for the inspirational project to come. Right. And then I'll go down part-time. It never came. No. And then I realized I'm doing this wrong. I have to go down part-time first and then the inspiration will come. So I actually went down part-time and then I filled the time with hobbies, mm. right? And things that I like to do. And then as soon as I my, my space kind of slowed down, things appeared. Yeah. Right. It's, it's that space, like that's the window where you you allow exactly that thing to emerge. You need it, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so powerful. So as we sit here in this container of the Good Life Project, uh, if I offer up the term to live a good life, what comes up? Immediately, love <laughs> um, was the first word that what that came up. I think love and presence to oneself and to the other. I think that's really the key for me. That's where I find um, my true joy and inspiration is as soon as I'm really present uh, fully to to what's happening inside me and outside, things go well. And as soon as I'm afraid or whatever, um, and I go go out of that and I'm not present, things get more complicated. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.